Wow, what a morning we've already had. And I believe there's more the Lord wants to do. Um, we're going to spend some time looking at God's word, which is so exciting. And I'm just going to kick us off in prayer. Father, thank you for what you have already been doing in our midst this morning. And thank you, Lord, that there is even more. Lord, you are a God of abundance. We pray, have your way in our hearts this morning. And would your word speak to each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to begin this morning with a question. And that is, do you ever find yourself thinking, there is more? It's a question that we love to ask our friends. If you've done the Alpha course, you've probably heard the question, is there more to life than this? But how often do we ask ourselves this question as followers of Jesus? Is it biblical to ask the question, and what are the consequences? Last week marked Pentecost Sunday, and we had Keith and Sally sharing with us. And they talked about the gulf that we can often perceive between our experience and that of the early church in the book of Acts. And he went even further to say that as the church in 2022, we should be expectant of even greater things, as Jesus explicitly states in John 14:12, where he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And so this morning, I want us to think about the question, do we take Jesus at his word and believe that there is more, that there, this is true for us today, or do we label it as an ideal and place it to one side? Jesus made this statement um, on the evening before he was arrested and crucified. There's confusion among his disciples. His best friends leave him and abandon him in his darkest hour. Then three days after his death, the women who were following Jesus visit the tomb where he was laid and they encounter the resurrected Christ. He tells them to send for his brothers, the disciples, to go to Galilee, and there he meets with them on a mountain, and he gives them what we famously know as the Great Commission. And this is a passage that many of us are familiar with, I'm sure many of you could quote, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, as we've done this morning, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. But there's more. This is incomplete because Jesus says something just before this statement, which I believe is so important. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I wonder if you've ever heard the statement, wherever there's a therefore, you've got to ask what it's there for. And the same applies here. Because there is something in the statement of Jesus' authority that directly influences the commission that his disciples and us as his followers are to receive. Often when we talk about mission, we can think in terms of our role or our strategy or our resources. And these are all great things, but we fail to recognize that the only sustaining source of mission is the right knowledge of Christ himself that comes from relationship with him. He must be the center. And so our story continues. The disciples continue to encounter the resurrected Jesus over a period of 40 days, as we read in Acts 1. And he tells them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promised gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. He tells them that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them, and that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, in all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, this promise that they were waiting for will be the very thing that enables them to fulfill the Great Commission. And notice as well that Jesus doesn't give them the full picture. 
They have no idea how the Holy Spirit will come, what form he will take, what time to get out of bed that morning and be ready. They're simply told to wait. And I love it becomes clear from their perspective that some of them would have liked Jesus to give a little bit more context as to what was going on. We read in Acts 1, immediately after Jesus says this, that he is taken up into heaven and a cloud hides him from the disciples' sight. And you can picture this moment where they're stood gazing up and it actually takes an angel to come and tell them to get a move on. He says, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go to heaven. Essentially, he's told you what to do, go and do it. And as we know, many of them do. Not all, but many of the followers go to the upper room and they wait on the Lord. I think it's important we notice that Jesus' invitation to them to wait wasn't passive, but it was really intentional. They spend time in fellowship. They're praying day by day. You can picture them daily reminding themselves, what are we doing? We're waiting. Jesus told us to wait for the promise. And then it happened. The Holy Spirit comes and the prophecy in Joel 2 in the Old Testament comes to pass. And his spirit is poured out on all flesh and the world has never been the same since. Now, why do I recount this big story? Well, many of us were here last week as Bethany, who I don't think is with us this morning, uh, brought forward a prophetic picture that the Lord showed her over two years ago about revival and renewal in the city of Durham. This picture of a river flowing down from the cathedral through the streets of the presence of God saturating every corner of our city and of him moving in a way that we haven't quite seen before. And it's amazing that there are other students as well who've had almost identical pictures. And this morning, I want us to ask the question, what would happen if we were to step into such a vision for our city? Let's take it a step further. What would happen if we oriented our whole lives around such a vision? Would it be foolish? Would we be setting ourselves up for disappointment? I imagine the disciples were asking similar questions among themselves. We read even after his resurrection that some of them doubted. And yet, the rest of the book of Acts is a testimony to what happens when a group of people say yes to the Lord Jesus and give him everything. And many times in scripture, this is the starting point. It begins with a desire. It begins with a hunger, a stirring among God's people for more of him. And that is what I believe he's doing this morning. In Psalm 85, we read, Will you not revive us again, O Lord, that your people may rejoice in you? And that word for revive or quicken in the Hebrew, uh, the root is the word chaya, which means to live. And so essentially, this psalm is a cry to the Lord saying, God, I want to be fully alive in you. Who's hungry for that? <laughs> and often it only begins with the one. In the Old Testament, we read about Daniel, who at the time when God's people Israel were captive in Babylon, he has this revelation as he ponders the scriptures. There's this yearning placed on his heart for the city of Jerusalem, which lies in ruins. And whilst praying, he's visited by an angel who told him the minute he started to lift up a cry for Jerusalem, a word went out in the heavenly realms because he was held in high esteem. His prayers literally shook the heavenlies. And I believe God is calling us as his people to expect the same. And in this example, the Lord answers Daniel's prayer that Jerusalem will be rebuilt and restored. And he does this through a number of leaders that he raises up. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel, to uh, name a few, to rebuild the temple. But how exactly does this happen? There's this verse in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 14, 
where we read, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. There is a stirring among God's people. That is how all of this is kick-started. And I believe this is a pattern of what is to come. At the end of the book of Haggai, the Lord makes this proclamation to Zerubbabel. He says, I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations, that is Jesus, will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Revival is nothing less than a community saturated in the presence of God. Temples of his Holy Spirit that overflow with hope. And it has a purpose. As the psalmist said, that God's people may rejoice in him. It is for his glory that he pours out his spirit in a new way. And we as people live in a city that has a rich spiritual heritage. I know many people who've been praying for Durham over the years keep coming back to Isaiah 60 and 61, which talks of a people who will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the cities long devastated. A people set apart unto the Lord. And I encourage you, if you have time, to go away, and, go away and read those passages. But I want to highlight the end result, which we read in verse 11 of Isaiah 61. That the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Look to the nations and I will give you Durham. Church, there is more. Around two years ago, a group of students and I, we were praying late into the night. There was a real hunger uh, contending with the Lord to move in a new way in our city. And around about that time, one night, uh, I went to bed. I was asking the Lord, would you do it? And I woke up at three in the morning and felt the Lord speak, uh, not audibly, but about as clearly as I've heard him speak. And he said to me, revival is my initiative, not yours. And so my response was, well, Lord, what does that make our role? And he said, you guys are the vessels. You guys are the vessels. And I think when we hear this, we can have one of two responses. Looking back, I could have gone, okay, God, well, if you're the one who initiates revival, I'll take a step back, I'll let you do what you want to do, and I won't bother myself with it. Or we can say, yes, Lord, it is your initiative to initiate revival, but I'm going to pursue you for it, because I want to be a part of what you're doing in this generation. And so the last two years, for me, have been steps in obedience to that. I've had the privilege of journeying with some students around Europe and seeing the little fires that he's lighting in pockets of our continents. Church, God is on the move. And just recently, I had the privilege of going to Switzerland with a group of 30 students from many different denominational backgrounds, asking the Lord to revive our hearts, revive our universities, and to revive our continent. We began to think about questions like, what are the things that are stopping us pursuing God with our whole hearts? What are some of the things we place above him? What are the idols in each of our hearts? And as we did this, the Lord met with us powerfully. I'd love to go into more detail. Come and ask me afterwards. But I came away thinking, if God can do that with 30 students in one weekend, what can he do in a whole generation? How many of us know that revival starts in our hearts? It's what we see throughout history, that sometimes it just takes one or a group of people whose hearts are wholly consumed with love for Jesus and whole churches, whole cities, whole countries are set on fire. And I think it's important we recognize that this is an invitation to all people, not just to students. Looking back at that prophecy in Joel chapter 2, 
the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Old and young, men and women, everyone gets to play. And so what are we to do? What is our response to God's heart? I believe we are to posture ourselves. That like the apostles in the upper room, the Lord had spoken to them. They knew he was faithful to his word. And so they positioned themselves to receive what God had promised. They didn't know what it would look like. They didn't know how it would come. They didn't know their specific roles. But they knew something was coming. And so they prepared accordingly. So I just want to touch on three ways. How did they prepare? What can this look like for us? And those three things are dependency, consecration, and yielding. So firstly, dependency. As we see in the upper room at the beginning of our story in Acts, this primarily manifests itself in corporate and in individual prayer. It makes sense that the more dependent you are on someone, the more you communicate with them. And this is what we see with the apostles. And even once the Holy Spirit came, I find it amazing that they continued in this attitude of dependency in every situation. Think of when Peter was imprisoned. We read that he's surrounded by four legions of guards. The situation is looking pretty bleak. And what do the church do? They pray earnestly. They were dependent on the Lord. Secondly, and I believe this is really at the heart of what the Lord is impressing on his people, it is consecration. My favorite verse uh, to do with revival and renewal is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 21, which says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, set apart, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. And I'd love to take a moment just to reflect on this picture, because we see a large house, there is room for all, everyone is in, and yet the compelling invitation is to be set apart, to be consecrated as instruments for special purposes. And this is a choice that each of us must make individually and ask ourselves, how bad do we want it? Because the Lord will not force it upon us. We must make that choice to be set apart for him, for his plans and purposes. And so once we've settled in our hearts, that is our desire, that is our cry. We see in scripture that consecration always begins with repentance. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But we also see this repentance goes beyond our confession It's something that's lived out daily, as Paul exhorts us in Romans 6, where he says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And there again is that image of being instruments for his purposes. Believe that the Lord is seeking pure vessels for his plans and purposes And that he is faithful to his word. That as we consecrate ourselves, heavenly fire will surely fall on people's hearts. So dependency, consecration, and finally yielding. Recognizing that our lives are not our own. Can we join Paul in that cry where he says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And these weren't simply nice words for the early church, but a living reality. 
manifested in the fact that many paid the ultimate price for their faith in Jesus. And whilst it might seem backwards in a world that tells us to press on, to push in, to achieve our dreams, actually the Bible tells us that it is yielding which opens the way to step into God's plans and purposes. This is what we read in Romans 12. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And so we see that pattern, that as we give ourselves to the Lord, as we lay our lives down as a fragrant offering and see our minds renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit, then we are able to test and approve his will. And so with the early church, we're given this example of a people of dependency, consecration and yielding. I believe this morning there might be those of us in this room where we don't really see a way forward. We don't have a vision yet of how the Lord will work through us in what he wants to do in this coming season of revival and renewal in the city of Durham. And let me encourage you, it starts with a hunger. And we can build, we can uh, create a space for that hunger by feasting on his word. To let our hearts be encouraged by the stories of these ordinary men and women that did the impossible through God by the power of the Spirit, and let us have confidence in the words of Christ when he says, greater things shall you do. Undoubtedly, many of us might feel ill-equipped, and to a degree this is healthy, because only God can initiate revival, and yet he has chosen to accomplish his mission, his plans and purposes through us in Durham and beyond. The same Jesus with all authority given to him on heaven and on earth has chosen to work that out through us. As Paul puts it, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And so this, church, is the Lord's invitation to us. Who's in? (laughs) So I'd love to end this morning just thinking about some practical steps. Firstly, let us pray. Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done in Durham and in the nations. Secondly, let us be found willing, eager to be used by him as vessels for revival. And this is a choice we must make as individuals and then encourage each other in daily. And finally, we recognize that our role in God's great mission starts with a small step of yes. And we wanted to create a way to do that. And so we've actually got a whole bunch of these alpha booklets scattered around church in the foyer, also at the front. Uh, Now, being honest with you, Giving out literature is not my preferred way of sharing the gospel. And yet I thought, all the more opportunity to give God all the glory. And so the encouragement this morning is to take one, or if you're feeling brave, take two, or three. (laughs) And for the next five days, pray. Ask the Lord, who do you want me to give this to? Who can I share it with? Be open, be willing for him to surprise you, be creative. And whilst this might seem like quite a small thing, we take great encouragement in what Jesus says to his followers. He says, to those who are faithful with a little, much can be instructed. And as we look at this big vision of what the Lord is stirring in the city, as we have seen this morning among us in our midst, we recognize as well that it starts with small steps of obedience. So this is simply an invitation for us to take that small step. 
So brothers and sisters, let us posture ourselves as best we can in the season of preparation. Like the disciples in the upper room, we know that the Lord is sowing something. We know that something is coming. And the Lord is asking us, how will we prepare ourselves? There is so much more to come. Would you guys like to stand? I'd love to invite Keith and Sally up. And just like the apostles in the upper room, we want to end this morning waiting on the Lord. The Holy Spirit is here. And as Jesus says to his followers in John chapter 15, uh, when he would send the Spirit, that he would both be in us and with us. So the Holy Spirit is living in us, but he's also present in this room. And we just want to give him full permission to do whatever he wants to do this morning. So let me encourage you just to, to close your eyes, to maybe put your hands out as a posture of receiving from the Lord. We're going to invite the Lord and then we're just going to wait. It might be awkward, but just see what the Lord wants to say to you this morning. So Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we invite you to have your way in our hearts. Lord, we see the things that you have done before. We recognize, Lord, you are working in the midst of your people. And Lord, we ask like the psalmist, would you come? Would you revive us again, O Lord? And Lord, this morning we ask, would you come and would you fall on hungry hearts? Lord, where we've grown comfortable, would you break that within us? Lord, would you stir us again? Would you stir your people as you did with Daniel, Lord, and the people who rebuilt the temple? So Lord, come have your way amongst us. Give us vision for what you want to do through, in and through each and every one of us, Lord. Come, Lord. Just sense that a real peace is beginning to rest on a number of people in the room. And this is the peace of God that transcends all understanding to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We bless what you're doing, Lord. whole time while Sam's been speaking this morning, I've just had the word yearning going through my head. And as we're in this place now, as we've drawn close to God, I believe he wants to really reveal his heart to us. And his heart is a heart which is yearning. He is yearning for the city of Durham. He doesn't just like the city of Durham. He is yearning. His heart is aching for people who don't know him, for people who don't even consider him. He is yearning for the people in the nations that we are in contact with. He is yearning for the nations that we don't have contact with yet. His heart is aching. And I believe that he is releasing that among us this morning that he is sharing his heart with us so that we carry his heart for our city, his heart for the nations. But God's heart is big. And I believe that he wants us to ask him for this. Because to carry God's heart, 
There is a weight with that. It is going to change us. It's going to change the way we come to him in prayer. It is going to change the way we speak to people when we are out and about. It is going to change the way we live our lives if we have the yearning of God within us. So if you want to receive that yearning heart, that heart that beats with God's heart for this world, ask him for that now and believe that you are going to receive that. And believe that it's going to change you and it's going to change your perspective. Give him permission. He is not forcing his heart upon you, but he longs to pour it out in you. And this might mean sowing in tears, but those who sow in tears reap in joy. And as God's people draw to him, as they catch his heart for the, for the lost, God is going to pour out his power upon us to go out there and he will trust us with his words. He will trust us with his, with his gifts, with his abilities. He will trust us to make him known because that is what he is yearning for. So as you press into him this, this morning, seek him for his heart. Yeah, I think Sam asked a really, really important question when he was uh, speaking. And I'm going to come back to that question. But the question was, are you in? And uh, yeah, we, we kind of, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to come back to that and I want to play that over. So I'm going to ask that question again in a, in a, in a 30 seconds time. So just you know, decide in your heart. Am I in? Am I in even though this could cost me everything? This could be the biggest decision I made. Am I in? But I know that there are some people who are going to struggle to answer that question because of things in their life. And Brian's got a word of knowledge. Now, word of knowledge is where is one of the spiritual gifts that Holy Spirit gives us. And it's basically where God has just dropped something into Brian. And uh, he asked me if he could share. So, Brian, do you want to? I really believe that one of the reasons why we can't say yes to God is because we're filled with fear. And I felt the Lord say this to me this morning. There are some here who are fearful of the dark. And I believe this came from their childhood. And in one case, I believe it came from being placed on a ghost train in a fairground, which made them terrified. And it's hung around them for the rest of their lives. And the Lord wants to bring his light to fill you to overcome that fear of darkness. And I'll quote the scripture. God has not given you us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, sound mind, self-control. Interestingly, this morning, I normally have two slices of toast for my breakfast. And or none at all. But today God said, have one. So I put the one in the toaster on the same setting. One side came out black and one side came out normal. And I had to scrape off, as we often do, the burnt toast. But he was talking to me about um, how the scraping off can be a bit painful. So, again, I just felt the Lord say that in darkness, it's so uncomfortable and it's rough. Scraping off is like a roughness. But 
when he comes to fill you with his light, delivers you from the darkness, it will feel like smooth velvet. So I just want to ask you, if you're in fear, trust him. Come forward, trust him. He will deliver you from darkness, doesn't matter how far it goes back, and fill you with light because darkness is crippling and stops you moving forward to say yes. That's all I have to say. So if that's you, can I encourage you to be brave and to actually come down? Brian will pray with you. Um, if, that, if that word is spoken to you, if that's you, please do be brave and come down. Now, I'm going to come back to the question that Sam posed. Am I in? And so if you are in with what Jesus has placed on your heart, if you are in with the mission, let's go. Let's go to the communities. Let's go to the nations. If you are in with the kind of the three things that Sam uh, spoke about this morning, I want you just to do a little prophetic act. I want you to put your hand in the air and I want you to say, yes, I am in. Now, it might just seem a little bit like, oh, well, I'm just waving my hand around and saying, yes, I'm in. But we are making this declaration before God. And God is watching and God knows. So if you are in, then put your hand in the air and just say, yes, God, I am in with all that you have got for me. I am in with your mission. I am in with your plans and your purposes. And I want to run with you to everywhere where you would place my feet to go. So, Father, for everyone whose hand is raised, for everyone who has made that declaration of saying, I am in, Lord, I pray that you will just take them on such an amazing journey. I pray a blessing over them. I pray that you will protect them and you will keep your hedge of protection around them. And I pray that we will, we will see testimony after testimony of the amazing things that you are doing through each and every person's life who's got their hand raised and who has declared, yes, I am in. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, and uh, I also just believe there's one more group of people uh, that it'd be great to address this morning. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. And as you've been here this morning, you've seen, you've heard the testimonies of how Jesus has changed lives. And this room is full of testimonies of lives that have been changed by the risen Jesus And maybe during the worship, maybe during, as we've looked at God's word, you felt something stirring within you. And this invitation that Keith has just extended is also for you. It is for you if you will say yes to the Lord Jesus and welcome him to your heart. And so we want to create a space for you to do that as well. And so if that is you, we would love to pray for you. As we've just heard, often we mark these moments by taking a step. And so we want to encourage you, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, but you have seen that there is something this morning that you don't have, there is something this morning that is holding you back. We want to pray for you. We want to be here with you. And we want to see you go on this journey of knowing the Lord Jesus. There are some people who do pavement pavement artistry where they create on a piece of pavement what looks like a great hole through into another world and people will instinctively avoid that but actually it's just paving stones and as we've been talking about this I think there are some people who have this image of if I step out I'm just going to fall through a hole and it's all going to end badly but 
actually, it's just paving stones. And don't believe, God, God says, don't believe what your eyes are telling you. Believe what he's telling you. Because even though it looks like there's a great risk in trusting him, he has got you and he's got you firm and it's just paving stones. It's not a great big hole. Okay, so if um, Vine's word spoke to you, can I encourage you to come out? If you don't know Jesus, then please do come out. We want to pray with you. Um, and uh, we've got, uh, and, and also if you just want, yeah, if you want to come out. But we, we are at the end now. We, it's quarter past 12. Um, so can I encourage you, go up, pick up your kids, please. And then there's tea and coffee out in the foyer. Okay.